for a second time. He is risen. Amen. Amen. Two things, maybe three. Earlier, we actually recited the Apostles' Creed, a hymn of the Apostles' Creed. I believe it's the last one in the Trinity Hymnal. So you got a bonus today. If you weren't familiar with the song, the Apostles' Creed, there's several versions. Also, just a note of correction, if you'll be back tonight, I encourage you to do that. Our sermon's actually from Hebrews 5, 1 through 10, not 4, 1 through 10, if you're reading uh, in advance. And then obviously, just a note, uh, we'll be remembering our Lord's death, proclaiming it at the end of the message. So preparing your heart for that these next 35 minutes or so before we um, celebrate and commemorate our Lord's death. There's a saying that nothing is less important in an athletic contest than the score at halftime. You know, it's the score at the end of the match or the game that ultimately matters. Nothing is more irrelevant than how you are doing midway through an important test. In life, in so many situations, you will not be remembered for how things Began or how they were going at the halfway point of a project or endeavor. What matters, what counts, what is remembered is how you finish. This letter known as 2 Timothy is the final of Paul's 13 letters in the New Testament. You get the sense as you see the word suffer or suffering and the realization that he is a prisoner, you get a sense of Paul's state, his frame of mind. And he's writing to one he calls his true child in the faith. And when Paul writes this final letter to his beloved protege, Timothy, the old mentor is coming, is close to completing his life's race. Maybe some of you feel that way. I do that. Sometimes for fun, I'll take 80 years and say, I'm 61, that's three quarters of that. So for me, this point in my life feels like something like October 3rd or 4th, fall is coming and winter is near at hand. In fact, in chapter four of this book, at the end, near the end of it, he gives this almost end of the book sign off after encouraging Timothy to where he says in chapter 4, verse 5, as for you, always be sober-minded. Endure suffering. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. And then now the sign-off, he says in verses 6 through 8. For I'm already being poured out as a drink offering. And the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and only to me, but also not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Well, as we think this morning of our text that John read earlier 
And you'll see the title of my text of my sermon, Remembering and Rejoicing in Our Greater David. Here is the big idea. Remembering Jesus' resurrection is not just a once a year occurrence or remembrance. It's remembrance. It's central to our daily strengthening in his grace. And I'm hoping that when we're done with this message, that you will have the sense that, you, that Christ has in fact been preached to you. That you've been caused to think deeply of those three words that Paul says in 2 Timothy 2.8, remember Jesus Christ. Some of you have ways you remember things, right? You make lists, you make notes. We think of even the, the acronym GRACE standing for God's riches at Christ's expense. But the point is that I want us to come away with remembering Jesus' resurrection as central to our daily strengthening in, God's ra- in his grace. So that we're raised to fresh strength by our daily fresh reminder that the Son of God for the believer was raised for our justification. He was raised even, you might say, for our sanctification. In fact, in Romans chapter 4, verse 25, Paul says this. He says of the Lord Jesus, it was he who was delivered up for our trespasses and was raised for our justification. Well, just four point, three points this morning, and that is number one, his resurrection is central to the message of the gospel. Number two, at the core of our strength in grace, his resurrection is at the core of our strength in grace. We speak of core strength. The resurrection ought to be that for the Christian. And then thirdly, at the heart of our comfort, in suffering. His resurrection, number one, is central to the message of the gospel. Number two, his resurrection is at the core of our strength and grace. And that's very significant when you look at the background for this, which we will in a moment. And then thirdly, his resurrection is at the heart of our comfort in suffering. So number one, His resurrection is central to the message of the gospel. It's the first point of remembrance. And you'll notice there, Paul's simple imperative, his word is, remember Jesus Christ. Sometimes, maybe you know what this is like. You fail to study for a test until the last couple of hours. And then you say, I couldn't remember. You fail it or you do poorly and you think, I couldn't remember. No, you didn't. It wasn't that you forget. You cannot remember what you failed to know. And what Paul is appealing to to Timothy here in this final letter, he's appealing to Timothy to remember what Timothy knows. Who better Timothy knows? He's reminded him in chapter 1 that this faith that first dwelt in his grandmother Lois and his mother Eunice, he says, chapter 1 verse 5, I'm sure dwells in you as well. In chapter 3, he speaks of, in verse 14, as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you 
learned it. Paul says, remember Jesus Christ. And I would argue, I would argue that when he says in chapter 2, verse 1, you then, my child, be strengthened in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, that is, find your life-giving, energizing principle, your dynamic from the grace that's in Christ Jesus, it makes total sense that the way you're to do that is this daily bringing to remembrance of the Son of God you know. The Son of God who was there in the first pages of creation, speaking the world into existence as the, as the writer affirms in Proverbs 8. It's the Son of God who's contemplated when God gives embedded in the curse to the serpent this promise that the seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent. It's the Son that's there. It's the Son who is the true and better Adam. It is the son who's the true and better Isaac and who's the true and better Moses and the true and greater David. It's this Jesus that Paul says, remember Jesus Christ. But it's his resurrection that's the first point of remembrance. And together with the cross, the resurrection was the key redemptive event in history. In fact, on Friday night in our Good Friday service, as Pastor Jamie was preaching on those three words from John 9, to Telestai, it is finished, stamped, done. He said the greatest words from the greatest person of the greatest event in history were noted. And so Paul works backward from Jesus' resurrection even to his ancestry. It's as though he's saying, Timothy, my message to you is to live a life of remembrance. Live so as to remember Jesus Christ in all the glory and fullness of his person and work. It's the Son of God who came on saving mission. Remember him as risen from the dead. And I want you to notice here in these words, risen from the dead, you might think risen can sound like that's a risen person. It sounds like an adjective, all right? That's a raised bed, like in a garden. No, this is a verb here. You might translate it, remember Jesus Christ who has been raised from the dead, who has been raised raised. God has done this. This is the demonstration of God's power. This is the fulfillment of God's promise. So as we think of his resurrection is central to the message of the gospel, it is the first point of remembrance. But secondly, I want us to see that Jesus Christ is presented as an authentic person and the resurrection is presented as verifiable historical fact. It's not open for debate. And in fact, it's very helpful if you do this. Let me show you as I turn to Matthew 1. Have you ever thought about the very opening words of the New Testament? The first 
thing that's asserted about Jesus Christ. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And then when you turn to the end of the book of Revelation, Revelation 22, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you all. And above that is come Lord Jesus. So that the New Testament ends with the coming of Jesus as the son of David, the true and better David, the son of Abraham. And it ends with a plea for him to come at his second advent. And Paul says, remember Jesus Christ, literally the offspring or the seed of David. He's rooted in history. I know it's tempting at times as we think about what we ask the question of what is true. And in our minds, we must believe what's true, think what's true, right? Believing the right things, thinking the right things, doing the right things to ultimately feeling the right things, right? Feelings is a caboose to what we believe. Do you believe? Do you believe what the Bible And what history has asserted and proven, he's history. In the opening verse, we talked about this. Matthew establishes this immediately in his opening line. That Jesus has a genealogy. He is, in fact, the son of David and the son of Abraham. And then even in Paul's letter to the Romans... In his opening verses, he says this, powerful words. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart from the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh. And if that's not enough, you'll notice that he adds this, who was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. There it is. The Son, the answer, the fulfillment of the promise, but also the demonstration of God's power. You'll notice also then Revelation 5.5, Jesus is the root of David. And then in Revelation 22.16, the very next to last expression by the Lord Jesus in the Bible, he says these words, I am the root and descendant of David, the bright morning star. But thirdly, as we think about how his resurrection is central to the message of the gospel, see that the resurrection was at the heart of Paul's gospel. He says, remember Jesus Christ according to my gospel. I like the way the NIV is very creative here. It says, this is my gospel. Notice, Paul does not simply say here, as preached in the gospel. He says, as preached in my gospel. He takes ownership for it. He would give his life for it. He says to the church At Corinth, woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. In fact, I wasn't sent to baptize, but to preach Christ and him crucified. 
So Paul's gospel was the gospel of the cross of Christ, but it was also the gospel of the resurrected Savior. Turn with me for a moment as we look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 5, maybe 1 through 8. If you know 1 Corinthians 15, you might call the resurrection chapter But his first 11 verses deal with the gospel, the final 47, with the nature, the power, the hope, the reality of Christ's resurrection. And Paul says, I would remind you, brothers, another way to say I don't want you to be ignorant of the gospel that I preached to you, which you received and which you stand and by which you are being saved if you hold fast to the word I preached to you unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. Now, he doesn't stop there. That he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers At one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, so as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. And so Paul asserts, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, that the resurrection of the Lord Jesus... This one to whom we praise and say and affirm on Easter, he is risen, he is risen indeed. As a matter of verifiable historical fact, has been raised by the powerful flexed right arm of God. And as surely as he was delivered up for our transgressions, he was raised for our justification. And so the song that we sang Friday night in our Good Friday service, stricken, smitten, and afflicted today, becomes risen, ascended, and seated. Risen, exalted, and seated. There's a fourth point as we think here about the centrality, the centrality here of the resurrection to the gospel message and that Paul was ever mindful that he and his fellow apostles received grace and apostleship from a resurrected Christ. They didn't order a diploma from a a mill type of university that spits out diplomas uh, for a price. It was what he says in chapter one of, of Romans, verse five, Conscious that this grace and apostleship that he and his fellow apostles received was from a resurrected Savior. He says, through whom, speaking of Christ Jesus Christ our Lord, he says, through whom we've received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who were called to belong to Jesus Christ. That makes sense with what Paul then says in 2 Timothy 2.10. He says, in light of this resurrected Christ, I endure everything for the sake, for the benefit of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus 
with eternal glory. Now, let's move secondly to see that his resurrection is at the core of our strength and grace. You'll notice that in verses 1 and 10. And I alluded to this earlier. There are two key places here where we find this word therefore or then in the first 19 chapters or 19 verses of chapter 2. We see it there in chapter 1 and then therefore in, chap- in, verse, in verse 1 and then in verse 10, right? He says, you then, my son, and that word then could be therefore, translated therefore, you then or you therefore, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus And what you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others. His resurrection, brothers and sisters, must be at the core of our strength in grace. Not our own faith, for one has said faith is nothing. But the reality of his resurrection... And the constant bringing to our mind the Son of God, remembering Jesus Christ risen from the dead of the offspring of David as preached in my gospel for which I suffer, even as a common criminal, that must be at the core of our strength. You know the idea of core strength. So a number of years ago in our first year in Beijing, living in China, that we went to see the Chinese acrobats And I remember looking at these young athletes, both men and women, performing feats that was only possible because of this incredible core strength. And I'm not going to demonstrate or try to imitate them this morning. I know you're all grateful. But the point is, it's his resurrection at the core of our strength and grace. It's not your progress today in sanctification. It's not how well you did yesterday as a husband, or how well you hope to do tomorrow as a wife, or how you're faithful you'll be as a friend this week. It's in that for your sake, for mine, God raised his son from the dead. So what are some characteristics of receiving this strength by the grace of our Lord Jesus? I want to give you just three briefly. Number one, his strength is suitable for children in the faith like Timothy or even aged apostles like Paul on the victory lap of his race. His grace is enough for children and enough for adults. That's why he says, you then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And no matter our station or stage in life, there is life for us in God's son. You know, if you buy a Tesla One of the things you're always having to think if you have a rechargeable electrical vehicle is where in the world along your journey are you going to be able to recharge your vehicle? Well, Paul is saying that in Christ, in the resurrected Christ, there's always grace to be found. 
It's why we can always bring that gospel to the youngest and smallest children of Grace Baptist Church, but also to the oldest and to the most weighed down by sin person that walks in our doors. And there's no doubt that maybe that's some of you this morning weighed down by besetting sin, weighed down by ongoing, unending trials. Remember what Paul said to Timothy before? He said to remember Jesus Christ. He said, you then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Get your life-giving power, your spiritual dynamic, what protects and moves you and empowers you Godward for life, for faith, and for hope in the grace that's only found in the living Christ who God raised for us. As surely again as he delivered him, Paul says in Romans 4.25, for our transgressions, he raised him for our justification. Are you in Christ? Are you in the resurrected Christ? You're his. You're righteous. It's the righteousness of another, but it's surely yours. So don't look elsewhere. Find your life and strength only in Christ. But secondly, we receive strength by grace when we understand that we receive it from a resurrected Christ. He was raised from the dead. His his resurrection was the supreme demonstration of God's power. And God's grace in Christ is more than the favor you receive from a friend. Think about this. The best meal delivered to your doorstep. The most gracious grade from a professor or even an undeserved increase in salary, though I've never heard someone say, I didn't deserve that increase in salary. Okay. They don't compare. Part of the amazing and the grace that strengthens us is that we receive it in the name and in the power of the one who mocked sin and death and the grave. This one who is worthy to take the book and open its scrolls because with his blood he truly and actually, not simply possibly, but actually purchased, it is finished, men and women and children for God from all the tribes and languages and nations and peoples of the world. You can sort of say as a kind of a play on words that grace mocked the grave. Grace mocked the grave. Well, third, we say we respond in trustful and preserving obedience to our Lord with full confidence in his commitment to make our lives fruitful. Let me repeat that. We respond in trustful and preserving obedience to our Lord with full confidence in his commitment to make our lives fruitful. And that's the final characteristics of this strength by grace. Paul possessed this attitude even though he was suffering for the gospel and bound in chains as a criminal. And I find it amazing that Paul in this final letter, having said, Timothy, you therefore be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And he punches with this verse 8, remember Jesus Christ. He doesn't say, get me out of here. 
Come bring me A, B, or C. Can you try to pay for an appeal to get me out of this prison? What does he say? He's not thinking of himself. He's saying, Timothy, do this one thing. Remember Jesus Christ. Bring him to mind. His person and his work. As prophet, priest, and king. The one risen by the powerful right hand of God. That's his final characteristic of strength by grace. And so he says in verse 10, therefore, I want you to think about this. He says, therefore, because as he said to Timothy, remember Jesus, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, the one that I preach in my gospel, the one for whom I'm suffering. When he says for which I'm suffering, he's actually referring to the gospel. He's saying the gospel for which I am suffering Bound with chains as a criminal. And there's an up-down sense to this if you'll think about it. I'm suffering with chains as a criminal, down. But the word of God is not bound, down. Therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they may obtain, that is up, the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. This is the confession of a man Deeply strengthened by the grace that is found only in daily in a risen, death-defying Savior. Only. And in 1 Corinthians 15, 58, I think today we may be instructed by Paul's summary application of the hope And strength that's fueled by the reality of a risen Savior. There's a reason 1 Corinthians 15, 58 comes at the end of 46 straight verses where Paul, in effect, exposits and he lays out the theology and the doctrine of the necessity of Christ's resurrection. He says this, therefore, in light of all that, my beloved brothers, be steadfast and movable always. Abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor, that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Well, there's a final point, and that's that his resurrection is that at the heart of our comfort in suffering. You'll notice, if you have your Bible open, that Paul speaks of suffering. Chapter 1, verse 8, share in suffering for the gospel By the power of God. Verse 12, which is why I suffer as I do. That is, he was appointed a preacher and apostle and a teacher. And then he says, for which I'm suffering, verse 9 of chapter 2. Suffering here is all over this book. And so you might ask this question, and I wonder if you've ever thought, how can you endure suffering for the gospel's sake? You can do that because God raised your Lord from the dead. That's how you can do it. And it was in the crucifixion of much suffering that the Apostle Paul gave us a template, something that we can trace for how we are to respond to suffering. And the sober and joyful contemplation 
of the resurrected Christ is at the heart of our comfort and suffering. In effect, my joy, your joy, is not because in some weird way we find joy in our suffering. Oh, like, oh, great, I broke my leg when I tripped on a concrete block. Praise the Lord anyhow. Our joy in the midst of suffering is that he suffered for us and not in vain, and that God raised him from the dead and he did not die in vain. And so Paul links his sufferings with the gospel. They're placed side by side. Have you ever thought this? It's like salty and sweet in one dish. Right next to the sweetness of the gospel, Paul says, that's where your sufferings are. Or right next to where your sufferings are, God's putting the gospel next to it. And so in 2 Timothy 1.8, he says the test, he speaks of the testimony, the testimony about our Lord, but share, he says, in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. And then in Verse 11, he speaks of Jesus Christ who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, which is why I suffer as I do. And brothers and sisters, let me say this. The most important sermon that you might hear all week is the one that you preach to yourself every day about Jesus Christ. It's tomorrow when you think, as you wake up, And you say, okay, first morning sermon. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring, the offspring of David, as preached in Paul's gospel. God, help me live that. Help me understand all the texture, all the hues, the colors, every facet as I think through all the good news of the Son of God slain. For us. Paul says it's why he suffers as he does. And so he can say, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Jesus. And finally, I want you to see how he he leaves his sufferings with the gospel of the resurrected Christ. Notice this. He says, though I am in chains, and this is the NIV, God's word is not. Though I am in chains, God's word is not. Though I suffer, I will endure it for the sake of God's elect that I may see them saved to eternal glory by the power of the gospel of a resurrected Christ. To Paul, his chains were nothing compared to the power of God that raised his son Jesus from the dead. Now, some of you, You are dealing with suffering and trials that others of us have no sense of the scope of that trial. You're dealing with trials that you know have no sense of the duration of that trial. It's indefinite. But by God's grace, by God's grace through the resurrected Son, you may endure. You may walk with Paul and say, therefore, I may endure everything as one of the elect, knowing 
that in Christ Jesus the Lord, I will obtain salvation and with it eternal glory. Now, just three applications. Number one, and they're, they're connected to the sermon points. Number one, the gospel that we must preach to ourselves must be crowned with the triumphant message of a risen and exalted Savior. It's not enough to leave him on the cross, period. His resurrection is central to the message of the gospel. A resurrectionless gospel that you're preaching to yourself is no gospel at all, okay? It's not. The gospel which you must preach to yourself and that must be announced as the greatest News ever to the nations is framed by these words of old Paul to young Timothy, risen from the dead as preached in my gospel. And the capstone of that message must include, and it must absolutely exalt in the clearest terms possible, a risen, ascended, enthroned, and exalted Christ who sits in this unimaginable glory and majesty at the right hand of his Father and with whom he shares perfect unity. And at this moment, at three minutes to 12 on April the 9th, is praying for you. He, the Lord of glory, is beside you in whatever suffering, temptation, extended trial, conflict, he's there praying for you. And so the king of all the earth, the righteous judge who cannot do wrong, sits in session. To not know this gospel of a risen Savior is to not know the gospel. To not believe this gospel of a resurrected Redeemer is not to believe the gospel And the gospel in its final form is the message of the ultimate message and plan of God in the Bible. And Jesus is resurrected in it. The tomb is empty. The disciples are hearing literally the angels saying to them, he's not here, he's risen just as he said. The gospel tells us of all his saving purposes through Jesus Christ for us as fallen mankind. It centers on the person and work of Jesus. It centers on his cross and his empty tomb. And no more important fact exists in history than the empty tomb. None. And for all your learning, for all your memorizing, for all your binge watching, for all your surfing the internet, Have you put your arms around this one fact more and remembered this one person more than the risen and exalted King Jesus? Remember it was in Acts 2 where Peter preached to the crowds at Pentecost in that first sermon of the early church. Here it is. This Jesus God raised up and of that we are all witnesses. Secondly, the gospel that I must preach to myself, the gospel that you must must preach to yourself, must provide the message of Jesus' resurrection as the core of my strength in his grace. If you're finding real strength and looking to find it in any other thing, you have misplaced trust. 
It's in him and in his grace that I will find daily strength for life and death, and you will. Everything else is weakness. Everything else will turn up empty and powerless. It'll all be zeros when you throw the dice. If a dice can have zeros, that's what it will look like. Where do you find your strength and confidence in life, really? Is it in your own resources? Your own wisdom, your own energy, your own organization, your own wealth, your own street smarts? Are you trying to push off the fountain of youth? You name it, you fill in the blank. If your strength and confidence is in anything other than the gospel of the resurrected and exalted Lord Jesus, you've made a serious mistake. You have constructed a house upon sand. You have taken broken cisterns and hoped that they would remain full long after filling them with water. And you're wrong. In Ephesians 1, Paul prays a prayer for the Ephesus church that it's remarkable. He says, I do not cease to pray that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of the, his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and he seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. If you know that the same power that God worked in the raising of his son is at work within you, why do you plug in to other power sources that cannot sustain you? There's a final application. We'll be done. Here it is. And especially a word to those of you who are in the midst of trial, suffering, pain, conflict, and everything connects back to the fall, right? You never, you have to understand the world through the lens of Genesis 3. The gospel that you must preach to yourself must be a gospel where his resurrection is my ultimate comfort in suffering and not just one Sunday per year. When you suffer either through trial, temptation, or persecution on account of Jesus, what is it that you set your mind on? Where is it that you go for comfort ultimately? Is it on a resurrected Savior? Paul did. It was Paul's antidote in the midst of suffering. He doesn't say he did not suffer. In fact, he quite affirms it in this book. It was God's resurrection power that was brought to the very place of his suffering. He knew that if God could raise Jesus from the dead and make a mockery of death, in fulfillment of those words in Isaiah 25, a death is swallowed up in victory. Then Paul knew, and you may know, that he possessed God's power in every place and every hour of his suffering for the gospel. Come. Let us remember, let us rejoice our resurrected Rejoice in our resurrected Redeemer right here at the table.
If I can ask the men who will be serving communion to come forward.